This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. Well, good morning. Hey, uh, if you are maybe new or have uh, recently just kind of started coming to Life Church, or if you join us online for the first time, my name is Jericho. I am one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, and so I, if I haven't met you, I just want to introduce myself. Um, cool, let's pray before we jump in. Dear Lord, we, uh, and we thank you for another day of life. Lord, I pray that uh, as we dive into your word today, Lord, that I would preach it faithfully. Lord, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would move in only the way that you could move, speak in only the way that you can speak. Lord, it doesn't matter how much work and hours I put into preparing something, it doesn't matter if you don't show up. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show up, that you would move, that you would speak. Lord, will the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. So in Jesus' name, amen. Under the cover of darkness, the little house sits in the valley, completely silent. Every room in the house is completely dark, except for the little room on the west side where there's a little flicker of light. As we go into the window, we will see him sitting at his desk with a stack of paper and a little candle lit, staring off into the, into the stars. He will grab a pen, dip it in the ink, and he will begin to write another one of his letters, another letter to a church, another letter to a person, and he, as he writes another one of these letters, I wonder if he is shocked at all. See, he wouldn't be shocked by the fact that he's writing at all. He could read and write. He was an educated man. He was born a Jew in the city of Tarsus in the Roman province of Cilicia. He, he was a Roman citizen like his father, born as a Roman citizen. He was a Pharisee just like his father, growing up as a Jewish boy. He was a, a, a studied under the greatest or most respected rabbi of his day, Gamaliel. He, was a, he wouldn't even be surprised the fact that he was writing as a leader, a leader to churches or a leader to a group of people. He wouldn't be surprised that he was writing as a leader because he's always been a great leader. He'd always been gifted this leadership gift to be able to organize a group of people towards a common cause and achieve that common goal. He was great at it, phenomenal at it. As a matter of fact, he was so good at it, he got a whole group of people all gathered around the same common goal to go and persecute Christians. And he was phenomenal at it. He was a natural-born leader who made it his personal mission to crush the Christian faith. See, I don't wonder if he's surprised at the fact that he's writing or shocked by, by the, the fact that he's writing as a leader. I more wonder if he's surprised at what he's writing if he's shocked at all, because I wonder if he goes back to the day that, that Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, where in Acts 7, we find out that Stephen speaks in front of the Sanhedrin, and in verse 58, it tells us that the people dragged Stephen out of the city, and they began to stone him, and then the meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. It's our introduction to the man that we will be looking at today. I wonder if he is surprised at the words he writes because he remembers that moment. 
I wonder if he looks back and remembers of what Stephen's last words were before he was killed. God, forgive them. Don't hold their sins against them. They're going to kill me. Don't, don't, don't hold that against them. Forgive them. I wonder if he looks back and goes, I can't believe that prayer was for me. Because we know in Acts 8.1, it tells us that Saul approved of the killing of Stephen. So he didn't recognize it in the moment. But now at this time, when he's sitting there writing the letters, I wonder if he looks back and goes, Stephen was praying for me. It's our introduction to Saul. Saul, his name will be changed to Paul. So throughout the message today, if I say Saul or Paul, I'm talking about the same dude. But this is our introduction, the man who led in the persecuting, arresting, killing Christians. I wonder if as he writes another letter, if he goes back to the day that changed everything for him, that moment. I wonder if it plays in his mind like a movie, that it's just always there. I wonder if he's constantly thinking about that moment. You see, as we study the book of Acts, you cannot get around this man. We kicked off this series a few weeks ago. We did a couple days of kind of, or a couple Sundays of an intro, and then we uh, are now studying kind of key characters in the book of Acts. You cannot read the book of Acts. You cannot read the New Testament and get around this dude. So what happened on the day that changed everything for Saul? That's where we want to look today. I want to go and look at that moment, the road to Damascus, what happened before the road, what happened on the road, what happened after the road, and how in the world did all of this happen in a couple of days span, and what changed the trajectory of this dude's life? So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. The way is what they called the early Christians. They didn't really have the term Christian yet, and they called them the people of the way. It comes from the I am statement of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. They called them people of the way. We talked about that in the series that we did a couple months ago of the I am statements of Jesus. And so Saul shows up to the high priest and says, listen, I want documentation. I want it in written form. I want legal documents that say I can arrest any Christian I find in Damascus. High priest is like, sure. And, and listen, if they sign off that you have legal rights to do this, it means you're really good at it. They're not giving it to somebody that's terrible at that job. Saul shows up, says, I want this. Boom. You got it. Go. He wants these documentations. He was a Jew by birth, a Roman by citizenship, a Greek by education. He was a triple threat in ancient time, in the ancient culture that day. We read about in Acts 22 that he studied under Gamaliel. We, we read in Acts 23 that his, he's a Pharisee like his father, a Pharisee, this Jewish sect inside Judaism that held to this strict uh, written law of, of Jewish culture held to it in a strict way. It's, it's the people that Jesus often encountered in his ministry. And Paul had this sincerity about persecuting Christians, about arresting Christians. But sincerity is insufficient. He was sincere in thinking he was doing the right thing, but he was sincerely lost. Saul, with his education, his background, the way he was raised, who, who he was as a person, sincerely believed what he was doing in persecuting Christians was exactly what God wanted him to do. You see, because there had been other people to claim to be a Messiah. 
Oh, we've had that. People that claim to be the savior of the world. There's been other people to claim to be the Messiah. And they would have these group of people that are these followers. And then those, he, that person would die and then they wouldn't come back to life. And so then the followers are just kind of like, oh, I guess he was wrong. But there was something different about these Christians that they were doing this stuff. And Saul truly believed what was happening was they were preaching a false gospel. That they were, that they were having this kind of false, uh, uh, false Christianity or false Judaism. And so he was like, listen, that's wrong. So he was sincere in how he persecuted Christians. You can see the sincerity in verse one, breathing out murderous threats against the Christians. He led the charge in capturing, imprisoning, uh, killing Christians, and it consumed him. It consumed him so much that murderous thoughts reeked on the man's breath. Now, I smelled some people with some bad breath sometimes. You know, some people use some onions or too much garlic or whatever. But I imagine if your breath smells like you want to kill people, it's got to be awful. <laughs> he was consumed by his convictions and sincerely believed he was doing the right thing. I bet there's people here who have felt the same thing. Maybe not in like killing Christians the way Saul was, but you've been very sincere in the way you felt about a certain group of people. Maybe you've had thoughts like, I'm standing on the truth of Scripture and what Jesus said, but you kind of use that maybe to villainize or start arguments or debate people in a harsh tone. For example, during the past election, all right. Did you find yourself making maybe general statements, all liberals, all, all Democrats, all conservatives? Or like, did, did you make general statements about people that had different views than you on the other side of the aisle? Everything that just happened with the whole Roe versus Wade. Have you found yourself with certain thoughts about the people that view that differently? At the height of racial injustices in our country, did you find yourself with certain thoughts about a certain demographic of people? feelings, and maybe having those words come out on social media or in conversations. All things COVID, masks, no masks, closing businesses, closing churches, uh, vaccines. My bet is, is most of us can look through the, the kind of COVID time, and there's at least one day that we're like, I didn't handle that really well. You see, I think sometimes we're very sincere about our convictions but it's insufficient when we're sincerely lost in the way we handle those things. Saul had this prejudice, this judgment towards Christians, and we all have them, these prejudices, these judgments, and I think oftentimes we're blind to those prejudices and judgments towards a certain demographic of people that we just don't even realize we have them. I'm gonna share mine with you. Um, so when I moved here to Life Church to become the youth pastor here at Life Church, I was very unaware of two groups of people that I had just a prejudice or judgment towards. One was white people and one was police officers. It wasn't until about two years ago I was on a run and uh, there was a car that was driving, I'm running this way, car's driving this way. I had long hair, had braids in. And the driver in the car yells out, run, N-word, run. And uh, I didn't realize my prejudice and judgment until at church, at friends' houses, 
in the neighborhood and community at the grocery store, every white man I looked at, I had the thought, were you the one that said it to me? And I had to start wondering, what is in there? Let me make it clear. It was, nobody from Life Church has ever made me feel, has never kind of passed any kind of judgment by the way I look, or I, like nothing like that. It was just some, some guy in the neighborhood. But I looked at every white man and had that question in my mind. Out to the point that I would pay attention to what car you would go get into to see if it was your car that matched it. And so I had to start looking at why is that in me? Where does that come from? In third grade, I went from a Christian private school to the, to the public school next door to me because um, my sister started kindergarten and she jacked up the tuition. She made it more expensive, so we had to go to public school. Um, yeah, it's her fault. Um, but um, so, so we, you know, at our, where I grew up, a lot of us just kind of walked to school. From third grade through high school, at least two times a year, there'd be thousands on thousands on thousands of little square white papers with swastikas on them, littered across the streets. Our house was here, our elementary school was here, our middle school was here, my high school was this way. No matter which one you walked to, you saw these everywhere to the point that in middle school, our school had to start having emergency assemblies to address what we watched or what we saw on the way to school. I just started to think that most of the white kids looked at us like that. Um, to the point that in high school, you show up in my high school, we had the Samoan wall, which was really just where all the Polynesians hung out. Just the biggest demographic of Polynesians was the Samoans. That's where we hung out. To the left, that was the white kids. To the, black, to the right was the black kids. Um, we had the Mexican hallway. And in the back of the school was where the uh, Arab, uh, mostly Somalian population hung out. Now you could intermingle between, but that was, it was kind of clear, this is where you hung out to in high school or to in college, uh, I remember driving back to college, kind of, uh, leaving home in San Diego. I'm gonna get to college around, to my university around midnight. About a mile or two away from the university, a cop pulls me over. Pulls me over and the first thing he asked me is what am I doing in this city? The, the city where my school was at was top five safest cities in America. And he said, nobody, you don't belong here. So what do you mean? There's no Samoans that live in this city. You live along 45 minutes north up in Oxnard where there's a Samoan gang up there, but you don't belong here because my truck on the back of it said Samoan built. He gave me a speeding ticket. I remember calling my pops. I mean, I just got a ticket, but this is what the cop said. I don't belong here. I tried to say, I don't play football here or school here. Didn't matter. I remember in college getting a phone call from my dad that I couldn't come home because uh, in Oceanside, which is what I had to pass through to get home, there was a race war between Samoans and blacks. And it wasn't just the gangs, they were just killing anybody of that race to a point that a Samoan killed and ended up shooting a cop. And now the cops were targeting Samoan people. So with my truck saying Samoan built, it was unsafe for me to drive through Oceanside. That moment on that run, I was very unaware of the prejudices that I had towards a large demographic of people. And if you look around, I, had, I was unaware of how uncomfortable I was if I was the only non-white person around a bunch of white people. Extremely unaware of it. You see, I, th I think sometimes we can, 
uh, think our feelings are justified and be sincere about what we feel because of our history and our past experiences, but not realize how sincerely lost we are in the way we look at a certain demographic of people. Sincerely lost and missing that they are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Sincerely lost and, and making a, a one individual or a group of people that, that because there was some others in there that hurt me, that every one of them are like that. And that's how Paul was. Every Christian, he had this sincerity that he felt justified about the way he looked at them. You see, we have these judgments and prejudices towards people sometimes, and sometimes we don't even realize them. I praise God that that day he kind of opened my eyes to where I was at, something I was completely unaware of. But with Saul, that's not what he did. Well, he did, but in a different way. Let's look at Saul. Let's continue in verse three. It's as he, this is Saul, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. You see, Jesus and the church are inseparable. Saul thought he was persecuting Christians. He thought he was hurting Christians, but he was actually hurting Jesus. Look at what Jesus said. He didn't say, why are you hurting Christians? Why are you hurting my church? Why are you hurting my followers? Why are you hurting my people? Jesus said, no, no, no. Why are you hurting me? It's extremely personal for Jesus, what Paul is doing. They were extremely personal, the fact that he was hurting Jesus' followers, that he was hurting Christians. Understand, you are extremely personal to Jesus. It's not something that only happens in the early church or in the Bible, that it's the very part of, a part of Jesus' very nature is that he feels when you hurt. He feels when you have pain. He feels when you're heartbroken. He feels when you're persecuted. He feels that pain. You're extremely personal to Jesus. On the flip side of that, when we hurt other believers, when we persecute, when we mock, when we make fun of, when we look at other people, not in the Imago Dei, not in the image of Christ, not with love and compassion and grace and mercy, and kind of, when we look at other people differently than what scripture tells us how we should look at them, we are hurting Jesus. With what I just shared, let me make it very clear. I apologize if I ever looked at you a specific way because of my past experiences and my past hurt. That was wrong of me to do to you. But let me make it clear. When we look at people that way, we're not just hurting them. We're hurting Jesus. When we cause any pain, whether emotional, psychological, or physical, to any Christ follower, we inflict that pain on Jesus. Saul was sincere in thinking he was doing what God would want him to do, but missed the point that he was actually hurting Jesus. You see, Jesus and his followers cannot be separated. Sometimes people will make the, the statements, um, you ever heard this one? Uh, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I think, uh, I, I think they're... I can understand what they're trying to say. I just think they're incorrect in what they're saying because you cannot separate Jesus and his church. You cannot do it. 
You see, Jesus and his church are just so, so closely intertwined together. In Ephesians 5, Paul compares the union of husband and wife to that of Christ, the church. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in his second letter in chapter 11 that, hey, I promise you to one husband, Christ. You cannot separate the bride from the groom. You cannot separate Christ from his church. Listen, if you tell me you love me, but you hate my wife, we got a problem. She might feel differently. She might be like, I agree sometimes. Um, <laughs> but listen, like you can't, you can't say that. We got an issue here. I deeply love my wife. You cannot say that. But understand, I don't love my wife the way Christ loves her, and I do not love her the way Christ loves the church. I try, but I'm not good or perfect at it all the time. You cannot separate Christ and his church. You cannot separate Christ and his followers. Jesus is also described as the head of the church. Colossians 1, 18, he is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, Paul writes, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. Jesus is the head of the church. Christians, Christ followers, the, the, the people of the church make up the body. Nowhere in scripture does it say one of you or I are the head of the church. That's a part that's only for Jesus. You cannot separate the head from the body. You cut off the head, the body ceases to exist. You cannot separate that. To say I love Jesus but hate the church, I think I'm severing myself from the body in which he is the head of. To say I love Jesus but I don't want to be part of the church, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to be around those Christians in there. They're, they're hypocrites, so are you. Um, uh, 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 they make mistakes, so do you. Um, listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're amongst people that get you. Okay, the only difference is as Christians, we know who Jesus is, we put our faith in him. But don't get it wrong, we're not perfect in any way, shape, or form. To say that I love Jesus but hate the church or I don't want to be part of the body, I don't want to be part of his church is severing myself from him because he is the head of it. With all the things that Saul had done in his life, with the persecuting of Christians, with the, uh, with the arresting of them, with the, with the woohoo, kill Stephen, with everything that Saul had done, my bet is, is the early church, the followers of the way, my bet is, is they, they counted him a lost soul. My bet is, is they counted him a lost cause. He's unredeemable. And there's no doubt, looking at his life up to this moment, he would seem unredeemable. He would seem like a guy, there's no way Jesus would save that guy. Right? He's killing the ones that put our faith in. There's no way. We just talked about you can't separate Jesus and his church. You can't separate Christ followers with Christ. Like You can't separate those two. So Jesus would definitely be on our side. There's nothing you can do for a lost cause. Verse 6 says, now get up and go into the city. This is Jesus talking to us all. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days was blind and did not eat 
or drink. So we got Saul on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up in a bright light. Jesus starts talking to him. Saul opens his eyes up, can't see. This man went from having a documentation to go in and persecute Christians to now having to be led in by his boys that are like, I don't know, he just can't see anymore. Uh, supposed to be our leader to capture these guys and he's uh, pretty much can't do nothing for us anymore. And then we're gonna lead him in there. And, and, and he says, there's something he's supposed to do, but he has no idea. And that's what's happening. And then we have this conversation where Jesus shows up to this man named Ananias. Ananias, the way scripture kind of describes him, there's a couple of different people. The way scripture describes this Ananias, seems like he probably would have been a leader in the church in Damascus. So without a doubt, he would have been one of the check marks that Saul wanted to capture. Without a doubt, he was a target for Saul. And so Jesus shows up to Ananias and says, hey, I need you to go talk to this man named Saul. Ananias, understandably hesitant, like, uh, I've heard about him. That's why I'm in Damascus. I left Jerusalem to come here because I heard about dude. I know the reputation that follows him. There's no way I'm going to make it easy for him to get me. And Jesus goes, no, no, I need you to go. And so Ananias goes. Let's pick it up in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. That's everybody. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Saul has this list of targets, list of people. Ananias is on there, probably top three on the list. He shows up, and now Jesus has flipped the script and now placed Saul on Ananias' target. And now Ananias has to show up to the lost cause. And he's got to tell him some words. You see, when it comes to lost causes, God is never incapable. Jesus loves to forgive, transform, and powerfully use lost causes. Saul was considered by everything, every human standard or Christian standard or scripture, were considered a lost cause. But that's not how Jesus sees him. That's not how Jesus sees you, praise God. You see, Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. He writes a majority of the New Testament. He becomes a missionary, church planner, theologian, evangelist, pastor, organizer, leader, thinker, fighter for truth, and lover and winner of souls. The lost cause has an amazing story. Saul went from breathing threats and murder against Christians to be calling brother by Ananias. He went from killing them to becoming one of them. Jesus loves to redeem people. He's in the business of bringing the dead to life, to bring in the orphan in his son and daughter, the outcast into family. It's his playground. Some of us here today, some of you online that will watch this today or another day in this week, some of you were considered a lost cause by family, by friends, by teachers, by coaches, by the community, by all society. Some of you were considered a lost cause. But that's not how Jesus looks at you. It's not true. Listen, if he looked at Saul this way, trust me, he looks at you that way. He redeems you. He forgives you. He wants to transform you. But that's not all Jesus wants to do. He doesn't just want to forgive. He doesn't just want to transform. He doesn't just want to redeem. He also wants to powerfully use you. You see, Saul has this amazing conversion story. 
amazing. It's, it, it's, it, it's special revelation is what happens on the road to Damascus. I mean, he's walking, he's going to kill him. Boom, bright light, voice from Jesus, can't see, three days, not eating. The Bible tells us that he's praying during this time. And, and, like, and he's converted to Christianity. Faith in Jesus, an amazing story. And it's amazing what happens after the three missionary journeys, the church planning, the the deep theology written in books like Romans and then all the New Testament that he writes and and the the letters of love. Like it's, it's amazing what he does after that moment. If Paul doesn't do any of the rest of the stuff that we know happens, if the rest of the New Testament doesn't come from Paul, and we don't have that. If it's just the conversion story, it would still be an amazing story. It would still be an amazing story. You have, um, there's stories of missionaries going into towns where somebody in that town will come to the missionary and say, hey, I've been having this dream of a man. The man keeps telling me that I need to go talk to you because you were coming to my town. And when you got here, I needed to talk to you so you could tell me who the man in my dream is. And the missionary starts to tell them about who Jesus is. And the person starts, put, they put their faith in Jesus. They have this special revelation in a dream. Then they hear the gospel. They put their faith. That's my savior. They put their faith in Jesus. Amazing. Amazing stories, amazing transformation, absolutely. But if that's where it ended for Saul, you could make the argument that it was a saved life, but a wasted life. Saved, yes. And he did none of the rest. Probably a wasted one. Considering what we know, hindsight 2020, considering what we know about what he did. But that's not what Saul believed. He didn't believe that he was this gifted leader uh, uh, and that that Jesus didn't want to use it anymore. He didn't believe that, okay, he saved me for that day because it was just about me and it's just a personal relationship between me and Jesus. That's all Jesus desires to do is only to save me. No, the passion that he used to have for killing Christians was now a passion to share the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same passion that he lived with to persecute Christians was now the, a passion powered by the Holy Spirit to now spread the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, to everybody he could come encounter with. Read, continue to read in Acts 9. Dude comes back and just can't stop telling people about Jesus. He can't stop doing it. He can't stop doing evangelism. He just keeps going and going. See, for every one of us that, that, that's not a Jew, Paul is our spiritual great-grandfather. We owe a massive debt of gratitude. Debt of gratitude. <laughs> Dead of gratitude to God for what he did in Saul's life, for changing Saul to Paul. Understand, Jesus wants to powerfully use you. We've talked about this before in your neighborhoods, in the, in the sports programs where your kids are at, uh, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers. God has placed you there because there's people in those circles that will never step foot in the walls of a church. But he wants to use you powerfully, both to show the love of Christ and to share the gospel with them, to tell them, listen, if you're a Christian, you're an evangelist. Every one of us is called to tell people about Jesus. Every one of us is called to share the gospel. We don't get to use, well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. There's some that have the spiritual gift. They do it in front of big crowds. But you don't have to have a spiritual gift of evangelism to tell one person about Jesus. See, my prayer is that we would be like Saul, forgiven, redeemed, transformed, and powerfully used. 
Pastor Dave, a few months ago in Vision Sunday, talked about he believes God has put Life Church here and is calling Life Church to have a greater kingdom impact in Northern Nevada. That he wants to use us in a more powerful way. That we're not, we got buildings, we've arrived. No. He wants to continue to use us to impact Northern Nevada in a greater way. Let me show you this graphic. So this comes from a website called whosyourone.com. Okay, the little dots, that's our state. If you're from California, that's what Nevada looks like, okay? Um, I'm from San Diego, so I had to learn too. Just, all right, I'm, I'm with you. I'm trying to educate my fellow California folks. All right, we're at the top, okay? Vegas is way down at the bottom, okay? We're, got it, all right. So this is our state. The little bright, the, the little dots are somebody that's praying for a lost person to come to know Jesus. So I'm up there. Um, I put down one of my neighbors. That's who I hope will come to know Jesus. So what I do, you go to whosyourone.com and you fill out who's your one person. You can't fill out a whole bunch of people. It literally saves your email as the one, like you can't go, well, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna, I'm gonna light up my state because I'm gonna start praying for a whole bunch. Of, you get one, okay? Here's the thing is you pray about it. You pray for them every day. Pray, okay, God, I pray that you, would, that, that, that you would open their heart, open their eyes to who you are. But you're also, Holy Spirit, open my eyes and my heart to see the points in a conversation where I can share you with them, where I can share the gospel with them. Now, as you can see, there's not a lot of dots up in Northern Nevada. Have some grace on yourself. You're just learning about the website right now, Okay. I'm not like, you guys should be doing this. I'm just showing easy application and easy resource. One, one person. We want to have a greater kingdom impact in Northern Nevada the way, the way our staff, our elders believe God is calling us to do. We got to pray about it. That's what we find Saul do is pray about it. He's blind for three days. We find him in prayer, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then goes make a massive kingdom impact. Listen, if you are a partner here at Life Church, you are a Christ follower. God wants to use you. We continue to read the Old Testament and look how powerfully God used, uh, used Paul. We look at other people like a Billy Graham or, or some of these people and we go, man, look at how God used them. I think sometimes we think that God, God likes to use those people. God wants to use you. Somebody had to share the gospel with Billy Graham. That person doesn't have a name as Billy Graham, but if that person didn't share the gospel with Billy Graham, there wouldn't be Billy Graham. Your one person may change our entire state, may change our entire country, may impact the world. You're one. Church, my hope and my prayer is that we would live a life with passion and intentionality and the way we live and share Jesus with other people, the way Saul did. Can you imagine what would happen? Could you imagine how the impact, what God can do when you don't just have one church, you have a bunch of churches in one city that are all on fire to share Jesus with the world? 
Listen, I get we we vote to change things to to fit our convictions on scripture, what we believe scripture is saying. I I get that that, that we feel like we need to fight things that are happening maybe in our, our school systems and all that. My my thought is, is we need to change people if we want to see the systems change. Whether the systems change or not, still lost souls, still people that don't know Jesus. Let's just tell people. Paul is really, really focused on sharing the gospel with people, telling people. Read the rest of the New Testament. It's an amazing impact that he has. No such thing as a lost cause when it comes to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for, um, well, I thank you that you did not see me as a lost cause. Well, I thank you that, uh, man, that you have placed us here on purpose. Lord, to have this impact in Northern Nevada. And so Lord, I ask that we would passionately, intentionally pursue what you're calling us to do that we would have a life like Paul, passion for the gospel, passion for Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and change lives because they now know you. Lord, I pray that in everything we do, you get all the honor and glory, not any individual, not a name of a building, but you, the head of the church. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of this series and hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.